Today's message I've called, Every Day is a Fresh Start, from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. You can go ahead and make your way there. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from a Roman prison around the year A.D. 60 to 62. Back in A.D. 50, Paul, along with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, planted the church at Philippi. After Paul received the Macedonian call back in Acts chapter 16 to not go to Asia, but to go to Macedonia, and he plants the church there at Philippi. And Philippi is an important city, and she knows it. She's a city of significance, the leading city in Macedonia, relishing her commercial significance and her status as a city whose citizens enjoyed Roman citizenship. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul points out for us that he had had some accomplishments prior to coming to know Christ, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was an eighth-dayer, circumcised on the eighth day. And the challenge that Paul is writing to as he writes the letter to the church at Philippi is that though the church has encountered Christ, they've known Christ, the challenge is that they might lose the freshness of their fresh start with him. You see over in chapter 4, verses, in verse 2, we meet two ladies named Yodia and Syntyche, And Paul tells us that they're not getting along in the Lord. And you know, the reason we fail to get along in the Lord is we get sidetracked from our pursuit of Christ and we start pursuing other things. We start relishing our past spiritual achievements and accomplishments. And unity will not last in congregations where our experiences or our qualifications or our preferences supersede our desire to know Christ and make Him known. And so Paul is writing into that context... And in order to make the argument, he says, look, I had all of these achievements and accomplishments and I counted them as rubbish for the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. And then look at verse 11, excuse me, verse 10. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says, I've been put in this race and I will attain the resurrection of the dead. And we might think, all right, Paul, well, what else is there to live for? Christ has saved you. He's delivered you from death. End of story. And in one sense, it is the end of the story. But in another sense, it's the beginning of the race. And so in verse 12, Paul gives us a corrective to, to the sort of thinking that might creep in. Well, we're just done. We can just sit here and wait till we die and forget about it. So let's, let's join Paul in verse 12. Paul writes these words, Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've obtained. Would you pray with me? Father, help us. Father, please send your spirit. Help us to encounter your glory this morning and to be reminded of the race that you've given us to run. 
Help us to start it fresh every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to submit to you, North Roanoke Church family, that Paul gives us three things that we must do if we're going to start fresh in the race that God has enlisted us in every day. You see, to finish strong, we first have to see every day as a chance for a fresh start. And to start fresh every day in our walk with Christ, there's three things that we must do. First, we must regard ourselves as lacking full conformity with Christ. Uh, I would summarize this point by saying two words, stay humble. Stay humble. Paul is in a race, but he doesn't want us to misunderstand how far he's gotten in the race. Look what he says in the beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already obtained. Now, interestingly enough, the most translations supply a direct object here. Not that I've already obtained it. Well, what is it? Because in the, in the New Testament Greek, Paul leaves out the direct object. He just says, not that I've already obtained, not that I've already arrived. Well, not that you've already obtained what, Paul? Well, perhaps he means the resurrection that he speaks of in verse 11. He has not obtained the resurrection because he's not yet died. Christ has not yet come. Or perhaps he means the prize that he speaks of in verse 14. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call. What, what is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? We'll discuss that in a moment. Regardless of what it is he hasn't obtained, he knows that he's in a race and there's something that he's still got to chase after. The word obtained here means to receive a gift or an object for which the gift, the initiative for that gift rests with the giver. In other words, Paul's saying, I've been put in a race, but there's something still more that God has for me, that he has to give to me, that there's something out there in the future that I'm striving for. He continues uh, to clarify this thought, not that I've already obtained or what, or have already become perfect or completed. The word again is in a passive voice, suggesting that as God, as, excuse me, as Paul runs the race, that God is working on Paul. The word for perfection here means to be complete or mature. And it has this indication of, of finishing something, bringing something to completion. If you work with wood or if you've ever refinished a piece of furniture, you know that to get that furniture just right, you've got to sand it, right, with the coarse grit. Get the old varnish off. Then you got to come behind with the medium grit. Then you got to get the fine grit. Then you throw a coat of lacquer or stain on it, and then you're done, right? No, you got to sand it down again and then put another coat of lacquer until it is finished perfectly smooth. And this is what Paul is saying I am in a race chasing after my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And until I see him face to face, God is still working on me. He's still bringing me into completion. And the problem or the challenge that Paul is fighting is the tendency that we have after we've been in the race a while to start to think pretty highly of ourselves. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Let Christ continue to mold you more and more and more into the image of Christ. The foundation of our sanctification in the Lord is our consistent disposition of humility. As long as we stay humble, as long as we regard ourselves as not having arrived, Christ is free to work the fruit of his salvation into our hearts and then out of our lives as we go in Jesus' name. 
In verse 13, Paul continues this thought, this regarding of himself as not having arrived. Look what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard, I consistently do not regard myself in this way. It's interesting, Paul heaps up the pronouns here. In the Greek language, the verb carries the the pronoun that's implied. So all he had to give us was the verb, and we would know he was talking about himself. But instead, he writes the pronoun I, then he gives us the verb, which has the pronoun I implied in it, and then he gives us the word myself. Paul says, I, me, myself, as I take stock of my life, I continually don't regard myself as having arrived or obtained what I'm seeking. It's a conscious decision on the part of Paul to keep saying, I have not met Christ face to face, therefore there's still something more for me to pursue. The word brethren here, some of you are getting a bit sleepy this morning. It's understandable. The lights are low. It's snowing outside. It's warm in here. Praise God for the heat. Paul in verse 13 says, brethren, right in the middle of the flow of his argument, in such a way, uh, there's different tenses of words Uh, in the Greek language, and he says it like this, hey boys, wake up! It's like a halftime speech. You're getting distracted. You're getting distracted by petty arguments. You're getting distracted by what's happened in the past, and you're forgetting the race that you're in and the future that Christ has for you. Wake up! Stop regarding yourselves as somebody important and fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your gaze on Him and pursue Him with a reckless abandon. Keep disregarding yourself because of the high regard that you have for Jesus. You know... I enjoy the show Funniest Home Videos, I confess. And there was an episode of Funniest Home Videos some years ago that I was watching. I've never forgotten it. It's just just fixed in my mind. When I saw it, I said, you know, Lord, if you ever allow me to preach the gospel, there's a sermon illustration right there. And here it is. There's a biker in a race, and, and he's run the race with excellence. And he comes around a turn, it's started to rain, and you know what happens when it's just started to rain? The oils come to the surface, it gets a little bit slippery, and he begins a a full quarter mile from the finish line to start celebrating. He's looking at the crowd, he's pumping his hands, he's just looking around, and here he is on his bike, he's been on, you know, he's well trained, he's been put in the race, obviously he's good at his craft and knows what he's doing, because he's leading the race by almost a country mile. Well, you know the rest of the story because it's on Funniest Home Videos. As he's pulling one of these numbers, the bike goes that way and his body goes that way and he's running over to get his bike and trying to get started and I'm telling you, less than 100 yards from the finish line, he's scrambling to get his life and race back together and the guy who's a distant second place comes blowing past him and wins the race. Here's what Paul is saying. As long as I'm in the race... I don't focus on myself and my accomplishments. I fix my eyes on Jesus and I keep running after him. And he's saying to the church at Philippi and he's saying to the church at North Roanoke, you have not seen anything yet. Whatever it is that you've done, whatever programs you've had, whatever people have come to know the Lord, there's a world out there waiting for the gospel. And Daryl, who's given 30 years of his life, and me, who's given three weeks, want to say to you this, you've not seen anything yet. 
You see, if anybody was entitled, if anyone was entitled to a big head, it would be Paul, wouldn't it? He's writing from prison. He's been imprisoned for the gospel. He's been beaten for the gospel. He writes this letter after two years of imprisonment. He's covered 7,000 miles in missionary journeys. He's written 13 books of the New Testament. And what does Paul say to us, church? That's nothing compared to the Jesus I have yet to see face to face. When I take stock of my life, I've seen nothing yet. And Paul says, I appreciate your opinion of me. I appreciate your opinion of, my, of yourselves. But I am going to make a conscious, calculated decision to take stock of my life from the vantage point of eternity. And when I do, let's face it, I've got a long way to go and every reason to wake up each morning and start fresh in the race for Jesus Christ. Well, Paul's told us in verse 12 and again in verse 13 what he doesn't do, right? I don't regard myself. I don't consider myself to obtained. Well, Paul, that's great. But what have you done? And then he gives us this powerful transition in verse 13. He says these words, but one thing. Now, in most of your translations, it says, but one thing I do. In, in the Greek text, it just says, but one thing. And then he leaves the verb absent. To your imagination, again, he's halftime speech. Brethren, one thing. I've told you what I don't do. Now look at what I am doing and will continue to do. What I do is I press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, verse 14. But he uses the same word, press on, also in verse 12. After he's told us he hasn't obtained, he hasn't become perfect, but I press on so that I can lay hold, that I can grab that which Jesus has already grabbed hold of me for. Now, this is a fascinating concept, but Paul is essentially saying this. I run the race not because I got into it on my own power, but because Christ has already put me in. Uh, some of you around here like NASCAR, I've discovered. Just a little bit. <clears throat> well, if you're a NASCAR fan, you realize that it costs a bit of money to get into the race. So how do you get in the race? You have a sponsor, right? M most NASCAR folks can't run the race unless they're independently wealthy or they have a sponsor. And what do they do when they get in the race? They try to please the sponsor. And when they win the race, what do they say? I'd like to thank Chevrolet because Fords aren't any good. And I uh, just... But they go on and on and on about their sponsor. Well, here Paul is saying, I press on because I've already been laid hold of by Christ. Christ put me in the race and that is my confidence that I will complete the race. My sponsor is better than Ford or Chevrolet. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's empowered me to run the race. If I will just pursue him. Well, when do I pursue him? In verse 12 and in verse 14, the word press on is written in such a way that it says, I keep on doing it until I die. It never, ever stops. Well, how do I pursue him? With strenuous effort. Look at the end of verse 12. If I may, or in the middle of verse 12, if I may lay hold of that for which I was also lay hold of by Christ. Do you see the tension in the text? Well, Jesus has already put me in the race and he's going to empower me to run the race. But how do I run the race? 
I run the race like it's going to exact every ounce of energy out of me. If by some means I could ever get to Jesus. So on the one hand, you run with confidence that you're going to arrive. And on the other hand, you run knowing that there's a world of distractions out there. And I've got to keep my eyes fixed, laser focused on Jesus in order to run the race well. Look at verse 13. This concept continues of how we run. He does it. By forgetting what's behind and stretching for what's ahead. Constantly forgetting what's behind. Now, I I don't know about you, when I began to study this passage, I thought, well, what in the world is Paul forgetting? So often we read the scriptures and we're told to remember what's behind. Remember what God did. When he delivered the Israelites. Remember what God did when he parted the Red Sea. Remember what God did when he came down and died on the cross and bore my sin in his own body. Remember, remember, remember. And Paul says, forget. Paul, what do you want me to forget? Surely not my sin. Paul tells us he's the chief of sinners. I remember my sin in part because it keeps me humble and reminds me of my great need for Christ. What Paul is forgetting is his past spiritual achievements, his past accomplishments, so that he won't begin to boast in himself and he will always, always, always chase hard after Christ. Do you remember uh, Dan O'Brien and Dave Johnson? This is a throwback to 1992 Olympics. They were decathletes and Reebok was trying to get into the shoe market, get more of the market share than Nike had. And you remember what they did? They found these two decathletes, both Americans, who were competing very well in the world championships, and they were setting world records in alternating fashion leading up to the Olympics. So Reebok sponsors Dan and Dave, and they have this question, is it going to be Dan or Dave who wins the Olympics? Is it going to be Dan or is it going to be Dave? Is it going to be Dan or is it going to be Dave? Well, as things would turn out, Dan O'Brien gets to the Olympics, barely. And then he's 10th for most of the time. And then he surges in the last event to third place and he gets the bronze medal, not the gold. Well, what about Dave? Maybe Dave won the gold medal. You remember what happened to Dave? He didn't even qualify for the Olympics. So the Reebok invested tons and tons and tons of money in Dan and Dave And Dan and Dave started to read their press clippings. They started to look in the rearview mirror. Well, I'm a gold medalist. I'm winning all, I'm setting all these world records. I'm going to be great at the Olympics. Who's going to win? Is it going to be Dan or Dave? Well, it's going to be neither of you because you're, you're dwelling on the past achievements and not stretching out to the achievements that God has for you in the future. So here's the question for us, North Roanoke. Let's get real for a minute. What are the victories in your spiritual journey that you're most likely to bring up in conversation as a point of boasting. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Somebody said, well, I did this. Well, I can't. And then the whole conversation, you can't celebrate what God did in their life because you just want to jump at the chance to tell them what God did in your life or more importantly, how you did something that made God look good. You see what I'm saying? Don't we do that all the time? It just rears its ugly head and we forget to run the race and start dwelling and gloating about our own past achievements. How about as a church? What are the things that North Roanoke has done in the past that would distract us from focusing on what God has in the future? I don't know what they are, but I guarantee there's a laundry list of them, of great programs, 
great things that you've done. You've built a gym. You've done awesome stuff. Look what God has done. Or look what we did for God. You know what Paul says to us this morning, North Roanoke? Forget about it. Because we're running after Jesus. And there's a world that's lost. And when we run hard after Jesus and let the Spirit give us the freedom and the flow to dream and create and innovate in Jesus' name, watch what God will yet do in the future. Forget about it. And as you forget about it, you don't just live in this state of nothingness. You live in the race that God has enlisted you to. And you do that by continually reaching or stretching for Christ and the things that he has in store. What is it we're stretching for? We're stretching for the prize that comes at the goal line or literally the finish line through the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now this is a a complicated concept. Commentators have a number of ideas of what the prize might be. Let me tell you what the prize is. Consistently throughout the New Testament, when there's an upward call of God to salvation, do you know who we get? It's not a what we get, it's a who we get. We get Jesus. Salvation is not some commodity that Jesus gives us. Salvation is Jesus. When we get salvation, we get the Lord, the Master, the Messiah, the King of Kings. We get Christ himself. That's a prize worth chasing down until he comes and takes us home. But if we're going to run this race well, if we're going to start fresh every day, there's one more thing we need to do. We need to resolve to never relent in pursuing Christ. Resolve to never relent in pursuing Christ. If I was going to summarize this with two words, it'd be this. Don't quit. Don't quit. You ever want to quit? You ever get tired? I do. I get to the end of of verse 14 and I say, that's great. I'm going to just fix my eyes on Jesus and I do it for a day and I do it for a week and I do it for a month and then at some point there's a distraction, there's a, there's a word of derision, there's someone who has an objection, and then suddenly I'm derailed in the race. That's a challenge for us as Christians, isn't it? Because the race is not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. I always envied when I was a, a track athlete back in high school, I always had a little bit of envy for the guys who did the 100 meters. I mean, they were done in 11 seconds. Come on, that doesn't count for anything. Here I am running the two mile or the cross country race. And you know what happens when you got a race for a long time? You start looking at the trees. You start thinking about how, what, how great your split was on the last lap. Or, or it was so fast you were crazy because now you're going to run a per- terrible race this lap. You start thinking about all these things other than what? The prize. When I was running cross country with a good friend of mine, Best man in my wedding. He went to UVA. Can you believe that? He, uh, he was a phenomenal athlete. His parents still attend our church. His name's Stuart Bray. We were at regionals. I, it was my junior or senior year. I can't remember. And I'm telling you, Stuart was, it was crazy. Just exceptional athlete. Well, normally we got there early enough to jog the course as a warm-up so we could familiarize ourselves with where we needed to go. Well, on this particular regional, our bus driver was moving slow, it was raining, 
every, every reason in the world that we couldn't get there in time. And so we got there and had to run, basically. We had never run this course before, and Stuart Bray was way ahead of the second-place contender. Well, guess what happened to Stuart? He's so far ahead, and the crowd's not yet up to him, that he gets to a crossroads in the woods where he can either go straight down a hill into a creek bed or he can take a hard left to the finish line. Well, unfortunately, Stuart Bray runs right down the hill into the creek bed before he starts to hear the cheering. When he gets down all the way down the hill into the creek bed, he begins to hear the cheering and notices that it's headed to his left. Stuart Bray runs back up the hill, gets back on the course, finishes the race, and I believe he finished, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was third or fourth that day, even after running over a quarter of a mile extra from everybody else. Now, I don't know where you are in your race this morning, but maybe you're on a path headed down toward a creek that has nothing to do with chasing after Jesus. I want you to see a promise that God gives us in verse 15. Therefore, as many as are perfect, meaning anybody who's been put in the race by God, think in this way. Think about Christ constantly, continually forgetting, continually stretching, and get this, get this promise from God this morning. And if in anything you have a different attitude, if anything you're thinking contrary to running the race well, what will God do? He will reveal that also to you. Now, you may not see that in God's little book of promises, but I think that's one of the most outstanding promises of God we could ever get. If you keep running after Christ, if there's a derivation, if there's a course correction that needs to be made, the Spirit of God who indwells you, the Spirit of God who saves you, will give you the ability to get back on course and chase hard after Christ. I don't know what it is this morning in your life, where it is that you need a course correction, but I trust that the Spirit of God will do exactly as Christ has promised. Maybe you need to come this morning and you need to begin to ask God to give you the power to make some course corrections. And as you do that this morning, there will be Pastor Daryl, myself, we'll be willing to talk with you about that, to counsel you, and to trust that God will be good on His promise as you race toward Christ. And then don't miss verse 16. Verse 15 could again lead us to complacency. Well, if God's going to show me when I get off course, then I guess I don't need to worry about anything. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 16. Unto whatever you've obtained, unto whatever pursuit of Christ that you have had that has been successful, what does he say? Keep living that way. This is a military term. It means to get in line. It means to march on. It means to stick to it. And it's the last word of the sentence in the Greek language. So here's what Paul says. Unto whatever you've already obtained, keep it up. Keep running. March on. Stick with it. Many years ago, I was at a lecture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And one of the world's leading apologists, Christian apologists by the name of John Lennox, was there. And he lectured for three days, and it was some of the most amazing defense of the gospel that I've ever seen. It was some of the most amazing uh, arguments for the existence and the reality of God that I've ever heard. And just about the time that I should have been impressed with his brain, John Lennox impressed me more with his heart and his soul for Christ. This is how he concluded 
three days of lectures that would have astounded you, I promise. This is what he said. I imagine that when I get to heaven and put my arm around my late wife, Sally, I will say this. If I had known it would have been this wonderful, I would have invested more in the race. This morning, we have an opportunity to start fresh with Christ, not only this day, but this and every day, and to pour our lives into racing hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jake and our instrumentalists come, I want to invite you to do business with Jesus this morning. I want to invite you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever past uh, source of pride in your life, I want to invite you to come this morning and say, God, I'm laying it down. Some of you need, there's something that you bring up all the time. I don't know what it is, but the Spirit knows. As a source of spiritual boasting, you need to lay it down this morning and say, I'm never bringing it up again. Because all it is is a distraction for me in racing after Christ. Others of you have fallen into the pattern of saying, you know what, I'm in the race, God put me in the race, so I don't need to worry about anything else. You need to heed Paul's words and you need to get back to running after Christ and trusting the Spirit to show you where it is you need to make course correction. And some of you this morning, you've never been to North Roanoke Baptist Church. You've not even been in the race. And you've just discovered there's a God who loves you and wants you to put in a race that culminates with you seeing Jesus face to face. We invite you to come, trust Christ, surrender your life to Him and find that the race is the greatest thing you've ever discovered in all your life. And lastly, there's some of you, you don't have a church home. Or maybe you've just moved to Roanoke because you've discovered, like most of us here, that it's the most beautiful place on the face of the planet. And if, if you're new to Roanoke or you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and partner with us as we forget what's behind and we stretch out for what's ahead, trusting God to bring the nations to himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you've put us in a race. You've given us qualifications that we didn't have. And you've given us a confidence to run hard after you because you've sent your spirit to guide us every step of the way. Spirit of God, come and draw people to yourself, to, your, to the Son, to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it. Amen.